Erev Tov, good evening. We are together in the Agarita series, En Yaakov. If you have the PDF in front of you of the En Yaakov, you are going to be looking at the page that says Dalit in the top right of the page. If you are using a regular Vilna edition of the Talmud, you're going to be on page 3a. Though, much of what I read today will not be found in your regular Talmud. You want the En Yaakov in front of you in order to be able to see the commentaries that I will be doing today. So we mentioned numerous understandings of these three watches. These three mishmarot havehalayla that make up the night. And different chachamim are going to try giving us different meanings, ideas behind these mishmarot. The next time we get together, I wish to focus entirely on the writings of Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the Benish Chai. Today, though, in order to get there, there are a few other commentaries I wanted to just survey briefly so we can look over them, know them, and then open up our minds to another understanding of them next week. So if you're on page Dalit, you'll see that there are two two commentaries on each side of the main part of the Agarata. And that is that of the Rashi on the left side, it's two lines, and the Maharsha on the right side. The Maharsha is one of the most important Ashkenazi commentaries on the page of the Talmud. I believe it was the Chazon Ish, Rabbi Avraham Yishayahu Karelitz in Bnei Brak, who said that since the Yeshivot of Ashkenaz abandoned the study of the Marja, that the four Amot of HaKadosh Baruch and his world have been destroyed. The Marsha writes here, in the wide column. So if you're looking underneath the text that has Nikudot, it's the first line of what they call Rashi script. You see where it says, Mishmara Rishona Chamor? On the first watch, the donkey brays. Anybody help finding that? Yeah? It's on page four, Dalit of the En Yaakov. The first line of commentary underneath the writing of the uh, Talmud text itself. Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. So there are three watches. Let's refresh our memories. The first watch. What sound? What siman is there? What sign is there? Chamor Noer. What is Chamor Noer? The donkey brays, makes his noise. The second watch. Kilavim Tzoakim. The dogs howl. The third watch. A baby nurses from his mother, and a wife speaks with her husband. Says the Marsha. 
הגם כי בוודאי הדברים כמשמען וכפשטן, even though these things could definitely be understood literally, יש לנו לתת טעם, we have to add some flavor בסימנים הללו. לתת טעם. לתת טעם. This word טעם. In Hebrew, the word for reason is סיבה. סיבה, very good. אנט הוא עילת העילות וסיבת הסיבות. Yes. הקדוש ברוך הוא is the prime cause. He is the reason of all reasons. The word טעם, טעם means something else. Yes, in, in Hebrew you could also translate טעם as a reason. But what else do we use the word טעם for? That's tam with a taf. This is tam with a tet, with an ayin also, tam. Very good, Omadiyah. Comes from the word taim. Really, it's the root of the word taim. What does the word taim mean? Delicious. So what is tam? The taste. Very good. Taste. So really, tam is taste. Taim should be tasty. Tam. My grandmother used to tell me, "Al tam v'reach en malitvakeach." About taste and smell, there's nothing to argue about. Once you would tell me that, my grandmother would serve fish on Shabbat, some kind of fried fish, and she would bring about lemon slices of lemon for everybody to put on their fish. There's one thing I don't like more than fried fish. It's the lemon they put on the fish. <laughs> and that lemon, I don't know, I guess people think it makes fish taste good. For sure for them it tastes good. I don't want it. Who puts lemon on a fish? My grandma would say, You can't argue with a person's taste. Everybody has a different taste. There's no, no use in convincing them that what you eat tastes good and what they eat doesn't. But then she would always say, Limon mosif hamon. Lemons add a lot. Everything you add a lemon to, it adds a lot. So... This time is a taste, subjective taste. If I were to say the difference between a siba and a tam, a tam, a siba is an objective reason for why we do something. Tam is a subjective reason, almost. Kimat, obviously not perfect. So let me give you an example. The Torah says, you should sit in the sukkah for seven days. Why? Why? What's the reason the Torah gives us? Temporary stuff to remind who? So that your generation should know that I put the Jewish people in Sukkot when I took them out of Egypt. So what's the reason we sit in a sukkah? Well, the explicit reason we find in the Torah seemingly is this one. Now, could there be other reasons? Of course, we find already other conversations surrounding sukkot. But the siba, that's the siba. A tam, tam is something that helps me understand something. I can't tell you it's the objective truth. I can't tell you that that's exactly why 
it is what it is or why it says what it says. We're we're just adding flavor to these simanim. This is not the reason why it says these three simanim, but let me try to give you a flavor. Let me try to make it a little more palatable to you why these three signs are a dog, a donkeys, dogs, and babies with mothers. And it's explained, that which we're taught about the parts of a person's soul. There are three parts of a person's soul. I don't have exact translations for you for these terms. Tiv'it, perhaps the natural soul. Chiyunit is the more live, essential soul. Vesichlit is the intellectual soul. Ubalei ha-kabbalah, what? Yeah, very good. Like Sechel, exactly like Sechel. That's the same word. Uvalea Kabbalah and the teachers of Kabbalah, Kiraum Nefesh Ruach Neshama. They call it Nefesh Ruach Neshama. If you've ever seen a Kabbalistic book or prayer, they normally just write Neran. Nun Reish Nun. Nefesh Ruach Neshama. No, I'm not a Kabbalist, but those of you who've studied Kabbalah, I'm certain that much of the discussion has been spent on what is the difference between a Nefesh and a Ruach and a Neshama. And every one of a person's actions is connected to the soul that is in them when they do those actions. And when people act at night, the actions that people do during the night, the night is made up, broken up into these three parts of the soul. He'll explain. Shebetchila, in the beginning of the night, Hadam bami melachto ve'asakav shebechol yom. A person returns home after a long day at work, whatever they work in. Everybody works on something else. Shebechol yom, it's the work that you do, your daily grind. V'hu tarud bahem, and a person is is tired already. They they've spent the whole day working. Kedel kaman, like we're going to read later. Adam bamina sadeh, when a person comes home from the field. I mean, this is something, people, people come home from the field. They come home from the office. They come home from work. Maybe someone comes home from the gym. Everyone comes home tired from something. And most of what a person does when they get home follows their tivi soul, their natural soul, which goes after the physical needs of a person. What do they do when they get home? Relax, take a shower, eat food, I don't know, uh, sleep, do whatever people do, people when they are winding down their day. And because these are actions that are in the realm of the physical, and that's why it says it's a time where the donkey brays. What is a donkey in Hebrew? What is chamor in Hebrew? Physicality. That's the reason why the first siman is that of a donkey. In the middle of the night. That most of the world is sleeping. What does it mean most of the world is sleeping? Not all of the world. There are people that are still up in the wee hours of the morning. Not always up to good things. 
Okay, is everyone those who are saying tikkun chatzot? You know, I'm debating whether or not I should add in one of the shiurim the discussion among our rabbis whether there are good parts of the night to pray for things and why tikkun chatzot and why. Maybe. I try not to delve into halacha so much in this shiur. Then poel behem mak nefesh achiyunit haruchanit and at that time it's the central spiritual soul that is acting the body is pretty dormant it's the, it's the soul that is awake then like it says we even say this in in his, in his hands I place my soul when I sleep and when I wake up so a person's soul is there and at that moment and night when people are sleeping, I have no uh, desire now to get into the conversation of what exactly these negative spiritual forces of mezikin are. But there are all kinds of harmful forces, says the Marsha, that are allowed to reign free at night. Like it says by the plague of the, the, plague of the firstborn, it was the middle of the night where that plague happened. And therefore the middle of the night has a special sign. The dogs are howling. Like it says by the plague of the firstborns. Remember that we said that the, the dogs won't open their mouths. They won't harm the Jewish people. It's based off of what it says in Masechet Baba Kamal. We studied this last week. When you hear the dogs howling, what does it tell you? We said this last week. Very good. The angel of death comes to the city. There's a reason why at night, angel of death, the dogs are not howling at the Jewish people. And in that plague of the firstborn, that the that the evil force was given permission to destroy at night. The dogs were howling. It still did not affect the Jewish people. And this is the reason why the second watch is connected to dogs howling. In the last third of the night, a person has already finished their sleep. And a person is rested. They're calm. They wake up. Not like how people wake up today. People wake up today, it's again like the Jews leaving Egypt. They wake up, it's three and a half minutes, they have to be at work, so they run, they're brushing their teeth while they're making a coffee, while they're, they're trying to splash some water on their face and comb their hair and button their shirt and put on their shoes and get out the door and get stuck in traffic and write a note to their boss, they're coming late, there's a meeting, it's canceled, push it on. That's not how you're supposed to wake up in the morning. You're supposed to wake up in the morning. Manach, mangoah, calm, calm. I'll never forget those days in yeshiva. There was nothing to worry about. I remember going to Tefillah early. Early, just to sit and learn a little bit before you start praying. Who has time for that anymore? A person's life is supposed to be, you wake up, go out, calm. Harapelet once told me that the most important character trait a person has to acquire for themselves in this world is menuchat nefesh tranquility of one's soul. He said, your whole life, your whole life, if you truly understand Torah mitzvot, 
is to acquire, you probably would call it in modern lingo, inner peace. This is the avodat, why we're walking out of a wedding, and it's all these people running to catch a taxi, get on the bus, guys. So what's a big deal? You just relax a little bit, walk slowly. You're not rushing anywhere. Nothing's chasing after you. You pray like that, eat like that, live like that. Sometimes you see people, I sometimes sit for dinner with people, and everyone eats at a different pace. Maybe it's like the taste, but you see people, they can swallow the whole pot of soup before you even have a chance to take a spoon. The food's not going to go anywhere. What happens if the food goes somewhere? What's going to happen? When I was in yeshiva, I remember they would bring out these trays of gefilte fish. Huge trays of gefilte fish. You know, the gefilte fish, they were, they were very green in the yeshiva. They would recycle it. Whatever they didn't eat last week, they would serve again this week. Trays, you could tell by how gray the fish was, which week it came from. And you know, these guys, they didn't even put carrots on them. It was just trays, huge mountains of gefilte fish. And bring to the table, and people already with their forks it was like a, a war of spear. Everyone grab a piece. And, you know, it was so nice because other food I wanted, but this food I didn't want. It was so nice to be able to sit at a table to watch everybody act like animals over a bowl of food, and you just sit there. You know what? If I don't eat, I don't eat tonight. It's okay. I'd rather preserve my human dignity than to eat like you. To have calmness in your soul. I was once walking with a parent somewhere. And we're on Geula, somewhere in Malchai Israel, a busy street, and a car honked. And the guy standing next to Araperet jumped 10 feet into the air from the car that honked. And Araperet smiled at him and said, You are Pasul Edut. You cannot be a witness in a Bidin. Why is this? Because you jump in the air from somewhere. You have to walk even in the street. You hear a war. You're still walking calmly. It's a character trait you have to work on. It takes your whole life of work, but that's the goal. So now a person wakes up calm. The mind of a person is pure. For what? You wake up and you start your day with Torah and Tefillah. These are intellectual actions. Both Torah and Tefillah come from the purity of your mind. You start off your day, Tefillah. That's what he mentions here at the Midrash. You go on into your day, Shema Yisrael, you say the Amidah. After you finish Tefillah, you sit for a few minutes, you learn Torah, maybe a few hours, you learn Torah, everyone depending on their life. That, all of that action is your soul, your Nishama Shabu. And that's why a sign was given of a baby nursing. Remez la Torah. It's a remez, an allusion to the Torah. Like it says in Eruvin, we read this last week. So this is from Mishlein. In Mishlein, the following pasuk. Mishlei is a beautiful book to learn. Shete ma'im iborecha. Drink water from your own well. Venozlim mitoch be'erecha. And drink liquids, flowing water, from your own, I guess one is a cistern maybe, one is a well. What's he telling you here? He's talking about your wife. 
Drink water from your own wife. Also, learn from your own Torah. Yeah, to be self-sufficient. Meaning, don't chase after everything that's out of your home. Your springs will spread outward, stream of water in the thoroughfares. They will be yours alone, strangers will not share them with you. Your source will be blessed. And you will be happy with the wife of your youth. A beloved, hind, inspiring favor. Art scroll, thank you. Her breasts will satiate you at all times. And you will always be intoxicated with her love. And he continues. Why, my son, will you stray after a foreign woman? Why will you embrace an alien bosom? Great words, Archko has here. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it could be referring also to your wife, but also to your Torah. Eshet Neurecha, the wife of your youth. That's our Torah. She's the wife of our youth. By the way, there are many, many books of Musar that discuss sometimes how difficult it is to have two wives. What do I mean, two wives? I don't get any ideas. A wife of the Torah and a wife of flesh and blood. That if your wife is not a wife of the Torah also, then it's very difficult to be in a relationship where these two things are both, they're full-time, full-time relationships. How do you have two full-time relationships if one of them is not interested in being in a relationship with the other one? What does it mean, that her breast will satiate you? What so just as this breast, so long as the baby nurses, he finds flavor. The same thing with the Torah. No matter when you approach the Torah, no matter how much you approach the Torah, the Torah will always have what to give you. Like a mother gives her child. So this is the time where you learn Torah. Because it's the time that you learn Torah, our Chachamim use the sign of nursing. Just like we nurse from our mothers, we also nurse from our Torah. The Torah always gives us satiation. It's a word, right? And a woman speaks with her husband. I'm not going to read all of this, Marja. This is an allusion to the, a woman. Who's a woman? Us, the Jewish people. We are the wife of Hashem, called Knesset Israel, on top of page Hey in the left column. We begin to speak with our husband, asking for what we need, meaning we begin to pray. So we learn Torah, and then we go into tefillah, just like a woman who speaks with her husband, we are Knesset Israel speaking to our husband. I don't want to read more of the Marshah. That's already for a different conversation. So this is the Marshah. There's three simanim. Chamo, the physical part of your body, which is at night. That's why it's a donkey. The second is the dogs howling. That's the time of all the negative forces in the world while we lay dormant in our beds. And the third, and maybe even the fourth. So the third is a siman of us learning Torah. That's a baby nursing from its mother. And a husband speaking with his wife. That's us speaking with HaKadosh Baruch. That's, these are the te'amim behind these three signs that were given by our Chachamim.
Let's look at another one. Let's look at this next one here. Uh, if you go back to page Gimel in the Enyakov PDF. So you see there's a few commentaries on the page. There's the Rashi and the Marsha on the top. Underneath that there's Hakotev, there's the Iyun Yaakov, and then there's the Rif. Who is the Rif? It's... Very good. That's the real reef. That's the reef in the Talmud. That is Rabbi Tzchak Al-Fasi, Rabbi Tzchak Affairs. This reef, otherwise known as the Riaf, Reshun Aleph Fei, he is the author of a book called Meor Naim, otherwise known as Rabbi Yoshiahu, the son of Rabbi Yosef Pinto. Rabbi Yoshiahu Pinto. Oftentimes, they call him Harav Hanismach, the rabbi who received Simicha. He is the fourth generation from those who received Simicha in Tzfat, whether it be Yosef Karo, Maran, the Shulchan Aruch, and the Mahari Berav, who refounded the Sanhedrin in Tzfat. Yeah, of all family, yes. This, Rabbi Yoshiao Pinto, is, in the, to the best of my knowledge, the last of the musmachim that we know of. So it seems like from here is the end of the trail. We don't find any more musmachim in this lineage back to the Shulchan A tragedy, but I've spoken about that in a different shiur. He has a beautiful commentary on Agadot in general. He's a staple of the study of Agadah. And we're going to read his commentary in the bottom of page Gimel. The middle paragraph says Harif. You see this? Rabbi Yoshiahu Pinto. And then in the end, end, end of the second column of his commentary, it says, Bet, Shalosh Mishmarot Have Halayla. You see that? Okay. So, Shalosh Mishmarot Have Halayla says Rabbi Yoshiahu Pinto. The night is made up of three parts. Heyotam Gimel. The reason why there are three. Because these three mishmarot, these are the times asher malachay. Turn with me to the page Dalid. And find in the middle left of the page the commentary Harif. Malachay Asharet, they are the angels, the ministering angels. Mishorim, they sing. Umodim, and they give thanks. Umeshabichim la Kadosh Baruchu, and they praise la Kadosh Baruchu. Bahim and the reason for them, the night is the time of mezikin, again, these negative forces. and the character trait of judgment. It's not a positive thing. It overpowers the night. And because the night has the strongest amount of deen, of judgment in the beginning of the night. These angels, they begin to sweeten the judgment. Those who are familiar with Kabbalistic literature, 
Much of that literature has to do with mitikut hadinim, the sweetening of judgment. For example, many of you have seen a minhag of adding water to the cup of wine. Now, even though the Talmudic source for that is because, why do we add water to the wine according to the Talmud? It was a concentrate, it was so strong, you had to dilute it with water in order to be able to say, and to make it drinkable. Today, if you add too much water to your wine, the blessing will be It won't be wine anymore. I'm not even sure half the wine we drink is really wine anymore. Well, that's right. So the Zohar, the Zohar, if I recall correctly, mentions that Yaakov Avinu was the first to add water to his wine. Again, this is from the Zohar. Yeah? And that he was doing mitikut hadinim. He sweetened his wine with water. In a little bit that I can explain, water is red, red is din. Uh, well, sorry, wine is red, red is din. Water is clear, water maim stands for fill up our hands from your blessing. And from the wealth of the blessings of your hand. Water is chesed. When you add a little bit of chesed into judgment, so you sweeten, when you sweeten the, the judgment. When's the only time the Mekubalim do not add water to their wine? Motzei Shabbat. So Saturday night. Why not? When you separate between good and bad, you don't want any sweetening of judgment. It has to be a very clear separation. A clear-cut separation, there's no adding of water. Though I've seen some chassidim, I think I saw the Sabbath Emet, he says that he did it also by Hamdanah. I don't know, I don't get involved. So, these angels are sweetening the judgment. The second group, for the next part of the night. The second watch is not, the deen is not so strong anymore. But this next group of angels is still tasked with sweetening the judgment of that time. In the third watch, it's just before morning. That already the the power of the judgment is already very light. And even they are still sweetening that little bit of judgment that's left. And when the Ben Mikdash was still standing, that the Jewish people would sweeten the judgment at the same time the angels were doing it. The Jewish people would sweeten the judgment by offering the limbs of the animals on the Mizbeach. And those limbs They would sweeten the judgment because they were the leftover limbs that came from the day. The day is not a time of judgment. So when you offer the day is chesed, you offer the limbs from the day. At night, you bring a little bit of light into the darkness of the night. And in every watch, what does the Gadosh Baruch Hu do while these angels are sweetening the judgment? What does he do? He, what does he do? What does the Klesh Baruch do three times a night while the angels are sweetening the judgment? Look at the top of the page. Ba'kol mishmar mishmar on every watch. Yoshev HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem sits v'sho'eg ka'ari and he roars like a lion and he says, uh, which was there in the next page, that he says, Oy li shechavdi beti, woe to me that I destroyed my bed in Mikdash. 
So the angels are serving you, they're thanking you, they're sweetening the judgment, and you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, are complaining at them? Why is HaKadosh Baruch Hu complaining at the angels? They're doing something good. Tell me. You understand the question? It's not that HaKadosh Baruch Hu complains at night about the Galut. It's every single time. Every single time the angels come to serve him, he sits down and roars like a lion. Woe to me, I destroyed my bed Mikdash. Why? Says Rabbi Yeshua Pinto, Kromar, Afgam shegimen kitot hem mamtikin kochot hadin. Let's turn to page Hey, and you're going to look at the bottom right of the page for the reef again. Even though these angels are sweetening the judgments, bizman hazeh nowadays, when we don't have a bed Mikdash anymore, and they are fulfilling the same void, or they're filling the same void. They're accomplishing the same thing that the limbs used to accomplish when we had a better Mikdash. Very good. Mikol Makom, nonetheless, HaKadosh Baruch truly preferred that that tikkun should be done, that they should be done by the limbs, more than the tikkun that the angels are doing. Why does a Kadosh Bahu want dead animals more than he wants the tikkun of the angels? Because the Jewish people are more dear to HaKadosh Baruch Hu more than the angels in heaven. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not want angels serving him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants B'nai Israel serving him. And so even though the angels are the substitute teachers, they're there, they're replacing us, but they're not Am Israel. And every time they do it, yeah, they get the job done, but it's not the same. It's, what? For many reasons. But this tells you, we always think, you tell people, wow, this person, if you try hard, you can become an angel. What do you can become an angel? Why would a human being want to downgrade themselves to an angel? Rabbi Yosheh Pinto is saying, your value as a human being who serves HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so much greater than that of an angel. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want angels, he wants you. And therefore, even though these watches of angels sweeten the judgment, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yoshev V'Shoeg, HaKadosh Baruch Hu still sits and roars. V'Omer, and he says, Oi shechavti et beti, woe to me that I destroyed my home. Ki shama hayum tikin Yisrael kochot adin. Because there the Jewish people were the ones sweetening the judgment. V'ani chafetz b'oto tikun yoter mima sh'osin malachai asharet. And I desire that tikun of the Jewish people much more than the tikun of the angels in heaven. HaRaperetz once told us, one of the more fascinating shulim I've ever heard. On Gadlut Adam, the greatness of human beings. The greatness of being human. It's, it's so much of our Torah and our sources seem to be negating being a human, crushing you being a human. You're doing chataim because you're a human. You have a yetzahara because you're a human. You run after ta'avot because you you're a human. But there's just as much in our Torah that talks about how much you can accomplish because you're a human being. If you were such a miserable, lowly, pathetic being, HaKadosh Baruch would have never created you. There's no purpose for you. There must be a purpose for you. 
Very good. Very good. By the way, I, I'll tell you something. Those who are not Mekubalim will forgive me. There's a book of Kabbalah written by Rabbi Yudah Fatayah. Rabbi Yudah Fatayah was a Mekubal in Baghdad, about the same time as the Benishchai. One of the volumes of his books, Haruchot Mesabrot, The Spirits Whisper. It's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting book. I was banned from reading this book in my house out loud. <laughs> uh, I thought it was uh, interesting to share stories from this book. Nonetheless, Rabbi Fataya tells you about all these souls that he met and all these reincarnations of people he communicated with and different spirits and, and, and beings and all kinds of things. If you want to stay awake at night, Rebuda Fataya talks even when he came to Israel and he was in the shuk and he saw a dog and he started speaking to the dog and the dog told him he was a Jewish person. Oh. Nonetheless, somebody once told Nagaperet, I read this book and I see all these souls and they come back to the rabbis and the generation to get tikkunim and the afterlife, they're being flung from one side of the world to the other side of the world and there's, there's the, the hell fires that they're burning in and the angels that are chasing them with sticks and all that. He said, that's a crazy thing after the world. I'm terrified. What? This book is terrifying me. I remember Arapelet smiling and like wondering, why are you reading this book? But Arapelet, instead of knocking him, he said, you know what this book teaches you? He said, what does it teach me? He said, look, all of these nishamot that the Abiyud Fatai is talking about, they all are in some desperate need of a tikkun, of a fixing for some avera they did 300 years ago in past lives. You know, they're already in the next world. Who's in the next world? With Bishimon Bar Yochai, Darizal, all of these, they're all with these people. So why don't they go to Moshe Rabbeinu? Why don't they go to them for a tikkun? Who do they come to for a tikkun? To review that sitting in Baghdad? What can he do that Rizal can't do? If you're a Mekubal, no? From here you see Gadlut Adam. From here you see the great power that a human being has. A live human being is that much more powerful than a dead one. We have, you read this book and you're thinking hell and fire and angels and demons. I don't know what you're thinking about. Sarapels, you're getting lost in details. Even the Mekubalim, what they're telling you is look how much power you possess. That you can affect change, not only in this world, but even in other worlds. That's the power that you walk around with every day. So what do you do with your life? What do you waste your life on if you have that much power? That's the, the beauty here of, of these teachings. Don't get stuck on, on the details. The, the main idea is that Kadosh Baruch Hu created you a human. You can do that which the angels can never dream of doing. With your permission, I wanted just one last source. Yeah? One last source, that way next week we can open up the writings of the Ben Yishchai. Obadiah, can I bother you for a water bottle, please? Thank you. I sent out a second PDF with a Zoom invitation. Yeah, you were just reading the, the 
book of Rav Sadia Gaon, you got to the part he mentioned incarnations, reincarnations? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. You're right. It's almost like what we mentioned last week, which is almost the more Yetzahara you have, the more greatness you are capable of. It's almost because the angel is, is so immortal that it almost has no strength like we have. It's a very presumptuous thing. I don't know if we're the only religion on earth that believes that we're stronger than angels. It seems that everybody else is looking up to all these divine beings. Whereas for us, we are greater than them. That's not something you would assume if that's not what Chachmei Salaam taught us. I don't think I've ever studied with you, at least not inside any of the writings of the Mahalala Prague. The Mahalala Prague is its own brand of Kabbalistic literature. Yeah, it's, it's, its, own, it's own. I have students of mine that are Mahalalas their whole life. Yeah? Interesting. Okay. The Maharal was an Ashkenazi rabbi in Prague. From 1515 to 1609. Could it be? I don't think so. Can someone look up for me when the Maharal lived? He, was, uh, he, he passed away in 1609. Yeah, sure. okay, yeah, very good. That's right, that's, that's right. Okay. Maharal is a fascinating... Yeah, okay. Fascinating personality. You might have heard of the Golem of Prague and all of these stories. Listen, from what I've looked into myself, I'm not here to tell you there was a Golem, no Golem, but even the legends of the Golem don't come from the generation of the Maharal. They're only found so much later. And how they became... From, from almost ridiculous folklore to things that people tell their children as solid fact. I don't know. It's like the... I don't want to say. So, let's look together at page 140 of this PDF that I attached. I'm really excerpting a piece from the middle of the Maharal's writings, which he's talking about the number three and the number four, and three kingdoms and four kingdoms and deep stuff. I'm, I'm not going to stick my head in that. 140, just to the top left of the page, 140. You see that? Okay. So look at the bottom of the page. The last paragraph says, Vahalaina. You see that? Okay. Says the Maharal, Vahalaina nechelak legimel mishmarot. It's really a fascinating study, this whole chapter of the Maharal's book, Netzach Israel. He is trying to show all the places where the Talmud mentions three, maybe three and four, what the significance of those numbers are, how they tie into other ideas. But here I'm just dealing with this paragraph. The night is made up of three watches. Like it says in the first chapter of Berachot, that's what we're studying right now. So this is not a commentary on Berachot. This is a totally unconnected piece that's quoting 
דת חמור למסכת ברכות. תניה, רבי אליעזר אומר, ג' משמרות הווה הלילה, the night is made up of three watches. ועל כל משמר ומשמר, and on every watch, יושב הקדוש ברוך הוא ושואג הארי, הקדוש ברוך הוא sits and roars like a lion, שנאמר לגצז נרמיה, אדוני ממרו משאג, שאוג ישאג הנביאו, וסימן לדבר, and the sign of these uh, three watches, look on page 141 at the top of the page. משמרה ראשונה, the first watch, חמור נוער, a donkey brace. שנייה, כלבים צועקים. A second, the dogs howl. שדשי, the third, תינוק יונק משדה אמו. וישה מספרת עם בעלה, baby nurses from his mother, and a woman speaks with her husband. By the way, I didn't want to bring earlier, I forgot to print it out for you, שוט חתם סופר. לא, דרשות חתם סופר. In the דרשות of the חתם סופר, he wants to say the world is 6,000 years. The first 2,000 years are years of חומר, of slavery, a lot of things that we were busy in our life being slaves to physicality. The second 2,000 years, our galut became one of shmad, the people trying to kill us and murder us, Romans and occupations and those things. And the last 2,000 years seems to be the lightest, but it's really the most difficult. Those last 2,000 years are not physicality, it's not death, but it's, it's years of being sent from one exile to the next exile to the next exile, never having the stability to be able to nurse from our mother. We don't have a mother, we're always on the run, we're always leaving our Torah from one place to the next. But here he's going to do something a little bit different with that. One could ask, Why at every watch, Woe to me that I destroyed my home. אבל יש לך לדעת, but you should know, שהלילה, that when our חכמים use the word לילה, nighttime, הוא חושך, it's dark. And darkness and nighttime in rabbinic literature allude to, והוא דומה לגלות, to exile. שישראל יושבים בחושך ולא אור. The Jewish people are sitting in darkness and not in the light when they are in exile. ולכך, and therefore, כאשר נגלו ישראל, when the Jewish people were redeemed, כתיב, it says in מגילת אסתר, in the 8th chapter, ליהודים הייתה אורה ושמחה וששון ועיקר. There were many things to the Jewish people, but primarily when the Jews were redeemed, there was light. Because light is redemption and darkness is exile. ולכך, and therefore, הלילה סימן לגלות. Nighttime is a sign of exile. And just like the night is made up of three watches, so too our exile is broken up into three parts. And they are entirely connected to the three watches, which are at night. Because those three watches and the signs that are connected to them, they tell us about the three stages of exile that we have. And this is very fitting for Tisha B'Av that's coming up. And because these three watches and three parts of the night are connected to the three stages of exile, that's why a Kadosh B'chul roars about the destruction of the Bed of Mikdash, because these are all connected to each other. And now he explains. Because in the beginning, when the Jews came into exile, Sorry, I, you know, I, what I told you before for the Khadam Sofer, I made a mistake. I'm reading, I, tell, I just told you the whole Maharal out loud. Let me do it inside with you. I must be, I'm trying to remember what the Khadam Sofer said. 
Okay, another time. Don't, don't, remember, don't pretend you didn't hear anything I told you before. In the beginning we come with the exile. And they made the exile exceedingly difficult for us. We were carrying a heavy burden always. Our exile became so bad in the beginning that we were like the donkey. Which is always stuck carrying heavy things. This is the exile of Babel. And that was our first exile in Babel. And that's why it's referred to as a donkey. The second part of our exile, was a generation of Shmad. Shmad is, you know, today they use this word in the Orthodox Haredi community like it's water. They drop Shmad on everything. Everything they don't like is Shmad. Shmad is a very serious word. It's a word our Chachamim used for when the Romans were massacring Jews in the streets of Yerushalayim. That's a Shmad. The, the nations would persecute us. And it's connected to the second watch where the, do- the dogs howl. Because when the dogs howl, it's a sign of death. Like a rabbi said in When the dogs howl, the angel of death comes to town. That was the second part of our galut. Because we were massacred. They literally massacred us. And that's why it says, In the second watch, the dogs howl. Howling is what people do when they die. The people who heard those howls in the concentration camps, and the, those, those, the sign of death. And therefore again, HaKadosh Baruch sits and roars like a lion. In the third and final part of our galut, we're not massacred so much. Hashem begins to protect the Jewish people from being massacred in the streets. And the nations of the world begin to treat us almost like their wife. We go from being massacred to being in cordial relationships. People today use these words, Judeo-Christian values. I love this word. Judeo-Christian. Go tell a Jewish person in the middle of the Christian Inquisition about Judeo-Christianity. Okay, let's just stop. Your galut has gotten the best of you. Your, your Stockholm Syndrome has been, um, it's, it's, very, it's very intense. The nations begin to think that they are our husband in the not healthy type of marriage. Like it says in Yeshayahu, that other people, okay, I don't know. And a husband, when his wife is not pleasing in his eyes, he throws her out, he divorces her. Like it says in Devarim 24.1. That's the nations of the world. Once the Jewish people no longer find favor in their eyes, they don't massacre us, they just throw us out of their country. And that's the main substance of the third type of exile. It's an exile of being thrown from one place to the next. I thought about it recently. I was talking to somebody here in San Diego. They were telling me their family, nine generations are living in the same house. But they're not, they're not from San Diego. They're from back east. 
And I think they're old. They're, they came here maybe on the Mayflower. Old, old America. I don't even know if those were they Americans. I don't know. <laughs> so they came. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, my ancestors didn't have the luxury to stay in the same house for that many generations. It just didn't, we, we all, one galut to the next galut to the next galut to the next galut. We, we don't have a place we come from. Unbelievable. This, he says here, and that's why it says, A woman speaks with her husband. And it adds in here, not just to the strange relationship between the Jewish people in the world as a husband and a wife, but also that a baby nurses from his mother, At the end of the exile, the Jewish people will nurse. We will be considered the babies of the Torah. That we nurse from the breasts of our mother. And those are our forefathers. We return back to our forefathers. What is that? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu will return the hearts of the children to the parents and the parents of the children. We'll begin to see again the value in those ancestors of ours. That we will begin to nurse from them again. And the reason why we will begin nursing from the Torah at the end of the exile is because we'll have been exiled from one place to the next and we'll never have stayed in one place for too long. Because that will be a generation where seemingly the Torah will have been completely forgotten from the Jewish people and there will be a need to relearn the Torah. The Maral goes on to speak about other things here. But as I prepare myself for maybe another Tishamba in exile, I think of this generation. All of us who study Torah and care to come and learn Torah, and the thousands of people across the world who learn Torah. And we talk about this generation of Jews learning Torah and everyone's coming back to the Torah. But you cannot help but feel that so much of the Torah that we're learning, it looks like a people who have forgotten their Torah entirely and are trying to refamiliarize themselves with something that they have no tradition in. And so much of the Torah that is out there, Rav Kook calls Torah Tagalut and Torah Eretz Israel talks a lot about these two types of Torah. I don't understand much in that type of theology. It's not where I come from, not the Bedevilash, I come from. But there's two types of Torah. And that's a Torah that's firmly rooted in the teachings of our forefathers and a new Torah that when you reclaim your heritage, sometimes you make up a heritage because you don't actually know what your heritage is saying to you. And I think that we've survived all of these galuyot. We've survived the being a donkey. We've survived the massacres and howling like dogs. Right now the galut that we need to survive, not the exile of being thrown from one place to the next. We've been through that also. The exile that we're needing to survive today, says the Maharal, is the exile of reclaiming our Torah, to go back to the right Torah, to make sure, like it said in Mishle, don't nurse from the wrong mother. Don't go back thinking you're going to the Torah and not ending up in the right Torah. You want to make sure that you take from the right source, that you learn from the right place, that you get the correct ideas from the proper, proper wells and cisterns. And Bezad Hashem, I bless us all, that this should be the last galut of the Jewish people in any type of exile. We should find ourselves all together in Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, Kodesh, already before Shabbat. But I'm willing to go 
if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants after Shabbat, I'm willing to negotiate with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we go after Shabbat also. So either before Shabbat or after Shabbat, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Yerushalayim, Yerat Kodesh, which we will rebuild together with our hands very soon. Chava, I'm wishing you a Laila Tov. If anybody has any questions or comments, I'm here to answer them. Please, uh, thank you very much for learning with me tonight.